Hello everyone, I'm Paul Botts, the CEO and founder of Good Leadership Enterprises. And I'm Gene Sieve, the Vice President and General Manager for the Minneapolis office of Burns & McDonald. And welcome to the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. We're recording this in the Aspiration Suite of our offices in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where we coach leaders and their teams how to grow their businesses with goodness. In short, our team coaches your team through the transformation to the next level of performance. Hey, Gene, this is really, really fun for me. You're a new voice of the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast, but not a new voice to me. Will you tell everyone how we met? Yes, Paul. Um, we met a number of years back. Uh, you had a coaching client that, that invited me to the Good Leadership Breakfast, which I uh, really enjoyed coming to. And as a result of that, I became a coaching client of the Good Leadership Enterprises. Yeah, well, that's right. And, and for our first-time listeners, the Good Leadership Breakfast is a monthly series of leadership development exercises that we host by our firm. We're now in our 10th year of doing this. And by the end of this year, we will have hosted over 19,000 guests. And my job is to invite speakers who we think are going to set really good examples for what it means to be a good leader who radiates goodness in their work. Normally, people have heard us on the podcast through our Monday morning quarterback style podcast where we review the speaker at the Good Leadership Breakfast. This is a little bit different. We're talking to our clients and friends and people who have read the How Goodness Pays book to see what their insights are about leadership. Are you going to be at the breakfast next week? Yeah, Paul, I'm going to be there for sure. I, I haven't missed many in the last uh, three or four years. Uh, and, and if I remember correctly, this is the Young Leaders uh, event where you invite uh, young leaders to come join, which yep. is always fun because there's a lot of additional energy in the room. Uh, and, and, but, but most importantly, you know, the, those Friday mornings where I do attend a good leadership breakfast, it's, it's a great way to start a Friday. It's a good way to kick off the weekend. So. Are you guys bringing interns or something or? We are, we're bringing, I think six or seven people from my office. Oh, so that's they, fantastic. they really, especially our young people, they really enjoy coming. It's a, it's, it's a bit of a perk for them and, and, uh, they really appreciate the message. Well, last year we had 115 young leaders and we think we'll be, um, higher than 150 this year. So that should be pretty fun. Well, um, what I would love to do is to have you uh, tell us just a little bit about, you know, why Burns and McDonald has been a sponsor at the Good Leadership Breakfast. And then maybe even as part of that, when you first started entering into our organization, what did you think about goodness and its connection to leadership? You know, I'm, I'm really fortunate to work for, a, for an organization that uh, embraces a lot of the aspects of, of, of goodness pays and, and the good leadership um, uh, tenants, I guess. Um, we, we're a global engineering uh, and construction firm, and we work on a lot of really, really critical infrastructure projects, a lot of really important solution development for, for our customers. Um, it's, it's, it's hard work, and it requires people really performing at their best. Um, we, as a result of that, you know, we, we, we try to create a culture in our organization that uh, allows everyone to, to bring their A game at all, at all times, and that requires a lot of collaboration, a lot of... Um, of, of emphasis on on cheering on one another, and so it's a lot of what you know you'll you'll read in the Goodness Pays book, uh, many of those aspects that really allow us to to bring out the best in our people. Well, before we get into the interview too much deeper, let me just tell our listeners a little bit about the book. I wrote this book, How Goodness Pays, with my co-author Paul Hillen. Paul Hillen and I met 14 years ago when I was his executive coach when he was on the executive team at Cargill. Um, I convinced him that he could get even better good business results if he led with a style that we called goodness. He was also already a really high-performing leader. His businesses were doing fantastic. He just was being criticized heavily for how he went about it. Well, he made that transformation, and in that process, I made some really good friends at Cargill, 
And then fast forward all these years, he and I decided to write this book on goodness, and it was supported by funds from Greg Page, the CEO of Cargill, and from Richard Davis, the CEO of U.S. Bank. Uh, we did not anticipate the resistance we were going to get. It took three years to do the research. It took a year for us to convince people to even play with us. And then a year after that to write the book. And so after five years, it's been quite the long journey. I'm just curious to find out now that you've been a part of this journey, you've read the book, where do you see goodness alive in the Burns and McDonald firm? You know, we, uh, I think it's important to talk a little bit about who we are as a company. Yep. We, we uh, are a 100% employee-owned company. We're an ESOP. Um, we were founded in the late 1800s by two Stanford-educated civil engineers who decided to open up their practice in Kansas City. Um, we became employee-owned in 1985, so what is that, 30, 30 years ago. Uh, and, and since then, we've grown to over 7,500 employee owners. And that, that growth was really fueled by the entrepreneurial nature of being an employee-owned firm. Um, certainly, that that becoming an employee-owned firm was, was really the defining moment for us. Um, none of that could have been possible without embracing so much of this, this idea of, of goodness pays and, and, and many of those things that you read in the Good Leadership book. Uh, we're a very supportive organization in one another. Uh, very, we, we, don't, we have very blurred lines between our business units. Uh, we celebrate each other's successes. We uh, encourage each other and support one another. Uh, we're socialistic in how we share our successes financially. And so all of those pieces are really um, elements that I think are uh, the keys to our culture. And we talk a lot about bleeding blue at Burns McDonald with blue being our, our, our logo color. Um, those are the pieces that you know, are, are really instrumental in our, in our overall culture and, and something we're quite proud of. So listening to you speak, I'm, I'm realizing that probably the most important thing we did in the research is to land on a definition that would allow as many people to understand goodness the way we did as possible. And this was not easy, but we landed on this definition that goodness in business is when people thrive together in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. And so I heard those messages in how you described Burns and McDonald. For us, it was really important to be able to create a definition where we could actually measure to find out if those things were alive in an organization. And through the research project we did, we figured out how to measure that. So at this point, let me just share a few highlights of what actually we wrote about and learned about in the research for the book. What we learned is there are five compelling what we call goodness pays factors, that when these five things are present in any organization, they have an 81% correlation to meet or exceed financial results. And that's really, really strong correlation. So these five things are in order. First, the organization needs to have a compelling plan. That's a plan that the employees believe in and find exciting. Second is that profitability needs to be healthy for everyone in the business. And Eugene, in, in part of an ESOP, that's one of the fundamental tenets in, in, a, in, a, in an ESOP. Third, they have to have a team-based culture where people believe that the team is rewarded and celebrated as much or more than the individual's. Fourth is that the decision-making processes are transparent and they're done in timely ways. And fifth, and that, this is the non-starter here, if you don't have this, goodness does not pay, and it's called magnetic ethics. What we mean by that is that the way leaders lead their own lives is magnetically attractive to the kind of people that they get. And 
the goodness pays organizations have leaders who set very high standards of behavior and then actually role model those high standards. So those are the five major findings. Common sense, but we also know that common sense is not always common practice. So as you read this book and started to spread this in the organization, what part of that research really generated the most intense discussion inside Burns McDonald? You know, there were really two factors, Paul. Uh, you know, as, a, as an employee-owned firm or an ESOP, uh, we strive to be very, very successful on behalf of all the shareholders, which in our firm is all 7,500 employees. So profitability is 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 critical, right? If you if you're not profitable, you're not keeping the doors open. Uh, many service organizations maybe may see profitability uh, differently, and, and and in some cases has a negative connotation. But we certainly see that to be, uh, you know, certainly healthy and important for all, right? Um, so so that was a bit of a validation. Uh, and the book was a validation for us and our culture that profitability is important and something that we need to maintain focus on, and it's not something to be ashamed about. But uh, secondly, the compelling plan topic was something that was very mm-hmm. timely in mm-hmm. light of the work that we were doing with good leadership yep. uh, and, and some coaching efforts with my leadership team. Uh, we, at the time uh, of, our, uh, of our engagement with good leadership, we had hit an inflection point with our company, with our office here in Minnesota, um, had grown to a point where uh, I think we were trying to figure out how to take things to the next level. Mm-hmm. And through working with good leadership enterprises, uh, determined that our planning approach needed to have a, a change. And mm-hmm. so developing a compelling plan, working uh, to engage uh, a broader section of my high performers, mm-hmm. getting them to carry the message forward. Yep. We're all pieces that uh, were, were really critical in us taking that next step, and it's proven to be a, a very, very valuable exercise. And and uh, we're, I'm really excited about where we're going from here. That's probably the most fundamental change that we suggest early on in the book. You know, goodness is an ancient topic that still very contemporary today for lots of reasons. But the idea that you you will get better results in your planning if you open it up to a broader group of people. Most of our clients walk in the door thinking, well, that's the job of just a small few. We have experience, responsibility, insight that other people don't have. So it's our job to plan and it's everybody else's job to execute the plan. We kind of, we turn that model upside down. What were some of the, were there, was there resistance in your organization or immediate acceptance? How, how did that idea fly? No, I'd say there's, there was immediate acceptance. You know, we, we're pretty proud of, of hiring high performers across all uh, experience levels. And so to be able to grab that next generation of leaders uh, and, and engage them in the, in the, in the planning process um, was welcomed by, by my leadership team. Uh, they didn't have to carry all the water themselves, mm-hmm. but it also was, uh, was critical that they could then take that message out into the aisles, um, the, that, that generation of you know, the high performers, the next group, uh, and uh, validate uh, and endorse what, where we're going. And really, uh, you know, all levels of the organization then really fell and step behind. behind what were some that. of the simplest changes that some of those people on your leadership made when you made that shift to, to a more collaborative process? That's a great question. I think really, you know, assigning, there's a lot of, there's a lot of heavy lifting that occurs yep. in, a, in any organization yep. and certainly is, is the case in ours. I think sharing the load Mm-hmm. between um, not only the four or five of us in the executive levels, but uh, the next group, um, sharing, giving them responsibilities, letting them feel like they're part 
of the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, really inspired them, and it's proven to be good vehicles for their own professional growth in our company. Well, I think we can sum up this part of the podcast by just saying that maybe the most important thing we've figured out from a just a nomenclature standpoint is this idea that the more people are involved, the more they're engaged. We're kind of living in the employee engagement era in terms of management science. We understand that engaged employees bring so many more benefits to an organization than employees who are not engaged. But this idea that involving them in important things actually increases engagement, that's a little bit new for a lot of the people that we introduce this model to. Absolutely. For our listening audience, I should just say that this is a Friday in August in Minnesota, and it's a fantastic weather day. So I'm really grateful to you, Gene, for coming out, coming in from the outside because I know we're both probably headed to the golf course or the lake or something this afternoon. So I'm curious to, I want to focus this conversation on you now. I'm curious to find out how did your aspirations as a leader change by really participating in this book project and then also, you know, reading it and taking it out into your organization? You know, working with with you, Paul, and your team um, allowed me to assess where my strengths were and where they weren't. And uh, what I did learn, which was really probably the most valuable thing for me, and you and I have talked about this multiple times, was there's areas where my strengths are my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And so overcoming some of those, or, or, or not necessarily overcoming them, but compensating for those was has been critical in this journey since then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've learned uh, to, the, you talk, you've talked in your, in your past uh, breakfast about the superhero model and yeah. how, how we as leaders try to do too much. Mm-hmm. So relinquishing some of that control, sharing mm-hmm. that has been uh, mm-hmm. an area of, of, of growth for me. Um, but equally as important as I've engaged the next generation mm-hmm. the, uh, of leaders in my office, being there to provide that inspiration and that cheerleading, mm-hmm. uh, as well as keeping up the guardrails uh, mm-hmm. uh, to help them grow and their leadership, uh, their leadership capabilities in my office and help propel us to the next level. I'm curious, uh, you know this, of course, you helped set this up, but we interviewed Ray Kowalik, the CEO of, of Burns & McDonald. And uh, he and I have a, uh, an appointment scheduled to talk about this book. It's been moved a number of times. But um, I'm curious to find out if, if we were interviewing him here, he probably would talk about the ESOP as being really, really important to Goodness Pays. But what else do you think he would resonate with in this research that we did? Um, that's, you know, Ray certainly would be a lot smoother on, on the mic than I am. He's, he's a fantastic leader, and, and I'm proud to call him a friend. He, um, you know, he talks a lot about uh, the secret sauce of employee ownership and how that really has defined our success. We, the, the, the um, success is good for all and, and profits are good for all are important. Um, you know, the other piece of this that, uh, that uh, you talked about is the team-based culture. Uh, you know, all of these, there's so many aspects of this that, that I think are, are, are right in line with our company's uh, ethos. Um, we have what we call the Mac culture principles, the Burns and McDonald Mac culture principles, and you'll see a lot of those same types of, of elements defined in our, in our principles. But um, I think most importantly is our idea in, in, at Burns and McDonald that we share in each other's successes and we celebrate each other's successes. We're, we're very socialistic in how we uh, um, distribute our profitability across the company with 7,500 employees within 10 business units. Not every business unit hits, uh, is running you know, on all cylinders at the same time, yet we, so we share our successes across all business lines. And, and that creates a culture where, again, we're not competing for talent, 
We're, we're sharing talents. We're sharing best practices. We're always bringing the best available player to a project, to a customer's needs. And I think ultimately that, you know, that comes back to the team-based culture. The profits are good for all uh, and, and all those, those pieces that are kind of woven together. I love that you landed so many times on the word share. It's just the simplest concept ever, but the cultures that embrace goodness and seem to make it pay uh, are fine and not only are fine with, but know how to be really, really good at sharing things, sharing resources, sharing credit, sharing enthusiasm, sharing the pain when things don't go well. Absolutely. And I remember in interviewing Ray, he talked about, you know, running to the fight, running to the problem, you know, on job sites when things aren't going well, you know, dropping everything and making sure that they gets the very best attention to fix the problem instead of pointing fingers at the people who were involved in the problem. And that is, um, that's a fantastic example. Uh, not very many of our clients actually do that. They have to learn how to do it. So that's a really, really uh, great example. Um, you know, I know you've been through this book many, many times. Was there anything, a particular part of it that you thought was maybe your favorite part of the book that you can share with us? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the, the compelling plan uh-huh. uh, was something that, that definitely resonated um, really as a function of, of how we've uh, been supported by good leadership. Uh, my organization here in Minnesota has been. Uh, that was certainly certainly very strong. The um, the, the transparent decision making, timely and transparent decision making, was an area of growth for me personally. Uh, you know, I think us here in Minnesota, uh, we, we get accused of being Minnesota nice, mm-hmm. a little passive aggressive yep, maybe at right. times. Yep. Um, we very very supportive, you know, in in, in conducting our our team's business and, and working with them. Um, in my own personal leadership journey. Um, you know, maybe I was I was a little hesitant to make the tough call and, and doing it in a timely manner. Uh, I've certainly gotten much better about that, and, and most leaders probably have been there, mm-hmm. where uh, you know, uh, adjusting staffing or making a decision. You know, in in those decisions, I think one of the most important things that I've learned too is there's certain decisions that you as a leader are expected to make by consensus, mm-hmm. and there's certain decisions that you do in an authoritarian manner, right? And so knowing which, which approach to take is critical as well. So I think I've gotten a lot better in, in making timely and transparent decisions. Well, you know, fairness is such a big piece of the underpinnings of goodness. We talk about excellence, generosity, fairness, and positivity. And when the fairness thing seems to be violated, particularly around decision-making, if I can't understand why we haven't made the decision, I don't understand why it's taking so long, no one's able to explain that to me, my sense of unfairness just rockets up and my sense of positivity goes down. And so part of the skill set we're trying to teach people here is to explain people all the factors, help them understand you know, why you're making a decision, what it's going to take, who you have to talk to, what are the consequences. And most people, if they understand the why and what's going on, will just give the benefit of the doubt. And that's a big piece of what happens in goodness. Agreed. Agreed. No question about that. So we put out a lot of data and we answer a lot of questions, but we're also learning that this book creates a lot of questions. So what's, what are some of the questions that went through your mind that really are unanswered in the book that we could chat about now? Yeah, thanks thanks for that question. I, You know, as a 50-something leader... Yeah, me too. We, we uh, and, and in a marketplace where talent is in high demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think many of us, uh, certainly in my industry, are, are really struggling to, to find talent. Um we're always trying to determine what is important to those people. What's, mm-hmm. what's our value proposition to a, an entry-level engineer, mm-hmm. architect, mm-hmm. environmental scientist, whatever it might be. Um, so 
we maybe are predisposed to have our own idea of what goodness means to them, mm-hmm. which with the twenty somethings mm-hmm. isn't quite as obvious as it is for you know to me as a fifty something because what's what was goodness to me uh, is different, right? So. How do we stay in tune with what the next generation of people in our respective industries define as goodness? Uh, I, I love the question, and I, I love to give this answer because I think at the core of goodness is actually understanding who, to, who people want to be when they grow up and helping them get there. That's what thrive together means. And it, we're not the first generation that's had a hard time talking to the generation that's coming after us, right? right I mean, that's right. been happening since the beginning of time. But in order to make this equation work, um, there are four generations of people in the workplace now. And that's, it's, it's unprecedented, other than probably the family farms when there was no organizational structure. And it's really a critical thriving skill now to be able to actually be able to sit down and have a conversation with the 20-somethings and ask them about their life. It's almost that simple, there are techniques that we use. You're familiar with our 7Fs model. We think you can have a 7Fs conversation with an octogenarian or somebody in their 20s. And so being able to have a conversation about these things that all start with the letter F, where they're at satisfied in their faith life, family, finances, fitness, friends, fun, and future. There are things that we all share in common. How we look at them is all different, and the expected mix is different for people in their 20s today than when you and I were in our 20s. Right, right. And so to be able to understand that, I think, is not a survival skill. It's a thriving skill. And to the degree that you can populate that skill across all the middle managers in your organization to understand what makes those people tick. Now, I will say one thing. I think that in business environments, we have to help people understand that business results are important. Profitability is required to provide some of those benefits that the 20-somethings come in expecting and the ability to make a connection to those. Um, There's some really beautiful stuff in the chapter about profitability healthy for all, the um, the value chain to explain why is it important to be profitable. If we are, you get this, that, and the other thing. Those simple conversations can be had with anybody at any point in their career, especially in their 20s. Agreed. So Gene, you know by now that we have a signature question that we ask in these podcasts and also at the Good Leadership Breakfast. And that question is just really, really simple. It's in your own experience, how do you know for sure that goodness pays for you in your leadership? You know, I, I think it, it really is, is quite simple. We, we try to be solutions providers to our clients, our customers that come to us with a, with a challenge, with a problem, with a need. Um, we try to have uh, and hire great people, great um, great professionals, great uh, technical professionals, great managers. And uh, we, we hope that our customers see that about us, that we are good people, we're good by, by, uh, by nature, that we're technically strong. Um, and you mentioned how Ray said, you know, run into the fire. Well, in our industry and in many service industries, not every project goes right. And, and every one of us in, at one point in our career has had a project that uh, maybe has had a challenge. And I can, I can refer to one particular customer uh, the project was in construction. We were right nearing the end of wrapping up construction, and we had an issue that came to light. And uh, you know, rather than sit and argue about whose responsibility it was to correct it, um, we stepped up and we, we helped out to resolve the problem. Um, the client's reaction to us was one of, of a, a lot of, uh, you know, extremely pleased with how we stepped up and demonstrated that we as an organization uh, value the culture, value doing the right thing at all times. And so um, I, I always say that, that 
the, the best opportunity to, to win a client over for a lifetime is what you do in the times of, of trial. And in this particular case, it was tested. And it was a fairly minor situation, but ultimately, the fact that up to this point, he saw in our organization that goodness um, uh, really allowed us to resolve the problem with very little impact. And, and our relationship is more solid than it's ever been. Okay, Gene, it's really been fun to kind of reconnect. We haven't spent much time together over the, la over the last few months. Um, one specific feature of this podcast, regardless of what our strategy is, is for us to identify what we would call an actionable insight. It's the carpe diem moment. So you read it, you made an investment, we've had this conversation. What's one thing that you just landed on and says, yep, I'm going to go do this differently because I invested this time? You know, I, I keep coming back to the compelling plan topic, again, was, which is critical for my organization. Um, not only are we creating the compelling plan and using that as our business compass moving forward, but it's something that we're not putting on the shelf and waiting till a year from now to pull out and refresh and, and put back in front of uh, the, the team again. Uh, we've, we've created some tools that are that, that communication tool, that, that transparency um, that scorecard, yeah, so public to speak. scorecard, yeah, uh, and, and using that really to measure and communicate. Most most importantly, communicate where are we going, how are we doing, and uh, do we need to adjust sales, adjust course. And so that's really been my actionable plan uh, in the last uh, you know since we've been working and since I've read the book. And and that uh, to me, I think is going to be the, the key uh, factor to our continued success. Well, from this podcast and in preparing uh, with you. I think for me, it's reconnecting my own instincts about how to stay connected with the with the twenty somethings that we know are going to be super important to our future in America, our future in businesses, but also the future of my firm. You know, we have a karmic energy here that's young, but as ownership group, my wife and I, we're in our middle 50s, we're empty nesters, our lives are moving and shifting. Yet as I watch the Good Leadership Breakfast and the programming that we're doing with our clients, the people seem to be younger and younger and younger. And I feel like I need to continually hone my dialogue to be speaking sort of a multi-generational vocabulary right. and topic level as opposed to you know, the fact that I'm an empty nester and hoping to be a grandfather soon which I know is a message that only appeals to a very small bandwidth of people, right? <laughs> Agreed. Well, Gene, again, it's Friday in Minnesota in August. Thank you for coming in out of the sunshine to be a part of the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. And thank you to our listening audience. We really appreciate if you, in any way, shape, or form, you listen to these podcasts, whether you're exercising or on an airplane or in a long commute. We think it's important to make an investment in becoming a good leader and learning more ways to spread goodness because everyone knows that the world needs a lot more goodness these days. Thank you very much, and we will talk to you soon. Music